Hey, it's Matt. How you doing? You're listening to episode 52 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Thanks for joining me for this one, which I recorded in June 2018 with my guest today, Pete Cabrina, founder and owner of Cabrina Kites, Hawaiian waterman and absolute force of nature. Welcome to any new listeners who've arrived at my little corner of the internet as a result of my guest. Not too much to state that Pete is an absolute legend in the windsurf kite and surf worlds. And I was extremely privileged to get him on the show as he passed through London recently. So yeah, he's had a career in the surf industry in various forms, as I just said, since the early 1980s. And in that time, he's done the lot and then some. How? Well, he's mastered three sports to world-class level for a start. Windsurfing, he was world champion in 1985. Surfing, he pioneered towing surfing on Hawaii's outer reefs with peers such as Jerry Lopez, Led Hamilton and Dave Kalama. And today as head of Cabrina Kites, the company that he founded, he's one of the world's best and most legendary kite surfers. So yeah, a formidable character, but as I discovered, a thoughtful and supremely open-minded individual. Action sports, as I, a bit of a pet theme of mine this, are very full of shit sometimes, very tribal, very preoccupied with what's legit, what you should be wearing, what you should be riding, often at the expense of the actual riding. And then you have a conversation with somebody like Pete Cabrina, who spent his life being curious, open to new opportunities, seeing where uh, the avenues that he explores takes him. And it really does undermine how small, underline, sorry, how small-minded that tendency in our sports and culture really can be. Now, it's a podcast cliche, especially if you've listened to Tim Ferriss, Rick Roll, Gary Vee, Lewis Howes and all the rest to big up deep dives, digging deep and what life lessons you can garner from a podcast conversation. I do try and uh, steer clear of all that stuff, but in this case, it is inescapable. There are a lot of simple, actionable, please don't hate me, lessons in this one. Some of them could be deemed a little platitudinous, but they're no less important and truthful for all that. Stay curious, be open-minded, know when to move on. You know what I'm getting at. These are the values that Pete has lived his life by. And as you'll discover, they've led him to quite a life indeed. So enjoy it. If you like what you heard, go check out more about Pete and his world through the show notes over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. I'll be back at the end for the usual yibble if you want to hear more from me. In the meantime, enjoy my chat with the great Pete Cabrina. Stay curious. Enjoy. Just to give you a heads up, I uh, might need to hack a little bit here. I had a, I picked up something in Germany a couple weeks ago. Oh, I really? Got, I got okay. a residual hack going. So all good. I can cut that out. <clears throat> yeah. what, what, what were you doing in Germany? Uh, we had a uh, um, training, uh, like staff training um, session for the 2019 product. Okay, so where, whereabouts was that? Presumably on one of the lakes down there. Yeah, it was in Lake Amerze. Okay. Um, our distributor's based in um, Munich, so. Right. So their whole crew came down to the lake and we had yeah. a training session. That's a nice time of year to be down there. Yeah, yeah. Like classic Bavaria, isn't it, this time of year? Like beautiful sort of countryside. It was super cool. Like the, the day we arrived, we uh, we all got motorcycles and just went through the Alps. and, and Oh, really? Yeah. And right. Did like this little tour. It was amazing. And, you know, I had been there before, but to see it that way was super cool. Yeah. Did you try the, uh, the river in, in Munich? No. We, we, Have you seen it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, not on this trip. I've, I've surfed it before. Yeah. How was it? Um, 
it was going off and the guys that are surfing it now are just killing it yeah it's quite a scene down there isn't it yeah you know like real particular little surf scene obviously given what it is and yeah some rippers down there right yeah Yeah. I, i surfed it a few times um years ago and uh and then i came back one time i was working with a company um called kimsey back in the day yeah yeah and uh they had um, sponsored a bunch of uh, guys from Maui. So I was there with uh, Jerry Lopez and a couple of other guys from Maui. And okay. we, we surfed that wave. Yeah. And then we sur- went over and surfed this other one called the Flow Slander. Okay. Is that also Munich? Yeah. Oh, it's in the English Garden, isn't it, actually? I think I might know where that is. A bit bit, bit further down from that first one. Yeah. I, cu- I couldn't remember. We, we drove to it. And, right, right. Um, it was such an amazing thing because... Um, the wave itself was not quite as good as the, the ice block. Right. But you'd be surfing it. And then all of a sudden somebody would yell out boat and you <laughs> right. look upstream and you see this barge, like this sort of flotilla raft coming down with a polka band full of tourists. Yeah. Or pounding bears. <laughs> they got the kegs on board yeah. and they're just hammered. They started up, you know, the river, you know, a couple hours before. Yeah. By the time they got to the wave, they were just hammered. And uh, they just, you have to get off the wave because it yeah. just goes right through it. It's like the Wayne's World thing. Car, that's go, exactly get out what of the I way. was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, pounding lager is quite hard to avoid when you're in um, that part of the world because yeah. it, yeah. it's, it's why a lot of people go, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. So that's quite a session. You and Jerry Lopez on that wave. Yeah. Is there any footage of that? What's that? Is there any footage of that? They don't film that. No. That'd be quite, no, a, be no, quite. We just did a little strike mission. Great to see that. Yeah. yeah. And you've just been in uh, Hailing Island, right? Yeah. In, on the South Coast. Yeah. So tell me what you were doing there. So uh, I was down at the uh, uh, Kite Surf Armada. It's an annual uh, festival that they have that's based around kite surfing, but it's it's got music and all kinds of other activities going on. There's, you know, BMX. Um, uh, shows and they've got great food and stuff so it's it's really cool and the i was really impressed to see how the kite community here is so tight and how they're super engaged yeah you know everybody came out a lot of um people camped right there at the event yeah and they'd have these sort of kind of sofa um talk sessions with the the pros or or people that are um involved in the sport and and everybody would just hang out and you know that's kind of a key event that one isn't it a little yeah. little kind of gathering of the tribe almost isn't it by the looks of it like yeah. every year that's the one where people can come and yeah have the little industry get together right yeah and it's super cool and and you know you don't see that in every market that really no okay no. so it's it is kind of unique in for, a the, way. for the uk yeah right why I mean, do you think why do you think that is um i just think the community here is is pretty tight and um and they really, you know, stick together and, and look forward to these kind of things. And, you know, then when the industry gets behind it a little bit and, you know, you know, assists and sort of puts, you know, some, some, uh, some of their people into it as well. I think it, you know, maybe brings something into the table and keeps it fresh. And, um, I, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I but really but know. great, great thing to check out. So is it not the first time you've been to this though, right? It is. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. any particular reason why you came this year or just, um, um, just thought it was time to check it out? It was time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it lined up perfectly with a few other things that were happening here in Europe. So I've been on the road for almost a month. Um, right. How's it been? It's been good. Yeah. It has been really 
really different from place to place, you know. It started in the U.S., and uh, then I went to the Bahamas for a dealer meeting for our North and South American dealers. So that was a lot of fun and, yeah. and re- just a really different scene in itself. And then uh, then went from there straight to Munich and then to, to the U.K. And then you were just saying you're going to head to East Coast after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're just stopping on the way back um, to see my wife's family. Yeah. So it'd be a good time to talk about um, the company because that's obviously what you're doing here. You're, how do you pronounce your last name? I, I didn't want to guess. Cabrina. Cabrina, yeah, I yeah. thought so. But um, So is that kind of travel and, and checking in with the different markets? Is that a big part of what you're doing now? Because I gather that you're now more of the... <clears throat> the brand manager right for the for the company so almost like overseeing the development of the brand right 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 it's it that's pretty much what it's been from the beginning yeah um although you know when we first started the company i probably wore a few more hats yeah um yeah so if i were to break down what i actually do for the 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 brand um i do some design work uh, i design all the the surfboards and um in the very beginning, I did um, a lot of the graphic design as well, which is something that I came into the company with. And then, um, and of, of course, the marketing. Pretty much all the things uh, that kind of make a brand a brand. So once it got underway, um, I brought in graphic designers and, of course, more designers. Um, we have someone else doing the kite design, and we have engineers doing a lot of, a lot of the technical products like the control systems and, and whatnot. But I always wanted to um, keep doing the surfboards just to really, you know, have my, my hand in that and sort of have the, the DNA of the brand intact. Yeah. And uh, then I just work with, with everyone else, all the other departments to, um, uh, you know, keep everything sort of together as a cohesive brand unit. And... Um, beyond that it's it's kind of um you know my responsibility to take the brand further and see where it goes from here and uh you know was that and was that always quite a natural progression then to start a brand and to 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 because you've always designed boards right and you've always you've always made boards and you've always been really that's been a really key part of what you've done right so was that something that straight away you thought yeah i'm gonna this is what i want to bring to it to to basically create a brand and and see what how you could further it if you like yeah, the Cabrina brand kind of happened, at least in the kite surfing side of things, kind of happened organically. Um, you know, if we're going all the way back, I was uh, involved in windsurfing. I was a pro windsurfer for, for many, many years. And um, I got into windsurfing really in the beginning. And so, and I was a kid. I was 15 years old and I was living in Hawaii and got into windsurfing and I was hanging out with these guys that were really progressing the sport in terms of um, product development and you know just every week they were doing something new and fresh and they were on the cutting edge of of the whole design and development and then I saw this um, industry develop around it and I got caught up in it and became a pro and went on the tour and did that for about 10 years and so I really got a, a first-hand insider seat to what was happening um, in the sport. And fast-forwarded, you know, many years down the road when kite surfing came around. Yeah. It was this kind of 
familiar thing. Like it was this odd spin-off of all these sports that yeah, we did. which has been a theme before. So you, you could see, you could take what you learned almost yeah, and, and, I, and, and move it in that direction. And I wasn't the only one. It was myself and Robbie and Raphael Sals and a, and a handful of guys who, who just sort of kind of had this sort of memory of what happened in windsurfing. And we were like, this thing is going to go. Right. This thing is going to kick. I mean, it's got all the makings. Um, and so right away and, and maybe more out of necessity at the time, cause there wasn't product that you could just go down the street and buy. Sure. Um, I started designing and building my own, uh, kiteboards. Right. And under the Cabrina label. And so it started really small and really custom in Maui. And, um, as it, as it grew, it got some, um, attention, um, especially from this company and this person named Neil pride. Yeah. And so he and I, um, got together and, uh, he had the manufacturing and the distribution. I had the design know-how and we put those two things together and sort of took Cabrina to the, the next, next stage. So what was it about kite surfing that you, that you saw that, that made you think that, you know, what was the thing? Cause obviously you've had, you grew up surfing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, you've, and I'd also love to get back to a bit more detail about the windsurfing, you know, cause that's a huge part of your life as well. Then you've got like the towing pioneering era, if you like, um, with, uh, Laird and Dave Klammer and, and then you've got this and it's, you know, each time it seems like you're always looking for the next progression. Is that, is that? kind of fair to say yeah I I think so I mean I'm I'm a super curious person and and I'm always um just keen and down to try whatever and fortunately um we live in a place Maui sure which is perfect yeah I mean and it's and probably because of windsurfing um how it entered the really the the scene on the north shore of of maui many years ago so what year is this because you i mean we're we talking well what? i i first started i was living on oahu um in the 70s and uh started traveling to maui and then by the very early 80s um the the focus kind of shifted in windsurfing from oahu to to maui maui's the windy island yeah and 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 the north shore of maui in particular was was the spot yeah and at the time surfing there, like if we're talking early eighties, like nobody surfed the North shore. Right. Like barely. Okay. I mean, on a good day, there would just be a handful of guys out. Right. And, um, so, so actually windsurfing there wasn't like a burden on the, on the scene. It was, it was just part of the, part of the, the landscape. Right. And, um, so from early on, I think people had this kind of open mind about these different surf sports. Yeah. And it sort of stayed that way. And when, when you see somebody trying something different in Maui, nobody even looks twice at it. Yeah. It's kind of like, all it's, right, cool. It's part of that it's progressive pretty, ethos. That, yeah. It's always been there. It's pretty accepted. And, and, um, it's such a good environment to be in, you know, because yeah. this is what creates progress and, and, uh, this is what's allowed us to do all these crazy things like toe surfing and yeah. kite surfing and, and all that. Yeah. And foil. But and the, foil boarding yeah exactly yeah which is the, the next thing that you've been experimenting with right yeah yeah right um so who were you when you first sort of started looking at windsurfing who were you who were you sort of investigating that with at that time who, who were the people that you were involved with in that scene 
Yeah, so this would be um, the late 70s yeah. in a place called Kailua, um, which is where I was, I'm from. It's where I was born. And uh, um, as soon as I got into the sport, um, right away you you know look around and see who the players are. And, yeah. and uh, there were only a hand, I, I call them a handful, but you know there was just a, a small community of people. And the Nash family was one of the families that were really in it. Rob was already, this is Robbie Nash, he was already... Sure. Um, world champ at the time, um, as when I was just getting into it. Yeah. And, um, so clearly, you know, he's the guy like, yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, sail around him and see what, yeah. you know, what, see what he's what, doing. what's going on. Yeah. 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 And there are, um, a bunch of other guys, a guy named Mike Horgan and Larry Stanley. And of course, Robbie's dad, uh, Rick Nash. And, yeah. and these were the guys that were on the cutting edge. They were, they were the ones I was talking about that were, they were board builders, they were, um, you know, woodworkers and they were doing all kinds of cool stuff to the sport. Um, putting foot straps on boards and, you know, slowly cutting the boards down. I I find it pretty, even till this day, pretty interesting that I even got in interested in it because I was a surfer at heart. Right. And I tried this thing called windsurfing, which was at the time this 10, uh, 12 foot board really heavy with um this you know bagged out sail with eight and a half foot booms made out of wood yeah i mean it was just this dinosaur of a thing yeah, unwieldy to, to yeah. say the least yeah but i lived on the windward side of the island where it was windy almost every day and so this was kind of this this fun thing to do yeah and in some weird way it really grabbed me and and then right when i got into it and I saw what all these guys were doing, like slowly cutting the board size down and down and down. And, you know, it just seemed like it was headed, headed towards surf. And so I was, I was down with that. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be another way to really extend my water time, you know, between yeah. surf sessions. So that same thing, kind of looking at the next arena, if you like, you know, looking for the next way of, of taking it forward, like, as you described later. Because um, you grew up surfing from when you were, a small kid right yeah, yeah yeah like you know i think i read you started when you were six right so yeah, you, were, you exactly. were just every day surfing and is there always that open-mindedness in the, in the community from that from that age this kind of waterman culture that you hear about you know this kind of um yeah that, that, that anything is fine if it's progressive and if it if it means that you can get on the water it seems to be a big message of yours as well like you know ride what you want and don't really don't really care about what the people think about it. I mean, I'd like to say yes, but, um, but no, I mean, it wasn't always that way. Right. And there's this funny thing in surfing that, um, you know, you hear so much about surfing being this, this, you know, rebel sport and counterculture and, but, but at the same time, it's pretty conventional at, at times. There's, yeah, there, there was this thing in surfing, like let's, let's, let's start from the beginning. I mean, you know, I started surfing in the sixties and really started surfing right when the leash came out. And just that little product, the, the surf leash, yeah. was such a controversial thing, you know? And, um, you know, there was haters and, you know, supporters. Like, there were really two camps, like, to the whole leash idea. Yeah. It's like, if you can't hold on to your board, you shouldn't be out here. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Like, ruin, the, the, I guess the argument would be that you're ruining the, the purity you know, that it's almost cheating in some way, right? Yeah. And I was just a little kid. I was, you know, six years old at the time. And I was just like, pfft, you know, the difference between 
the choice between swimming or not swimming after your board, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to make a leash. Yeah. So went down to the dive shop and bought surgical tubing and made these leashes. And, and, uh, so yeah, that was, that was the beginning of like understanding that it's not always going to be just anything goes. And as I got older, I, I saw there was this, you know, this super tribe mentality in surfing that, I mean, really in some ways, like very closed off, like everybody seemed to kind of follow everybody else. And, you know, you had to make your board out of these materials and uh, you got to put your stickers like this. I mean, even now you look at it, there's such this, you know, logos go here. Well, it's the herd mentality, isn't it? Like, yeah. That's what you're talking and, about, isn't it? And, uh, you know, there's, of course, you know, a lot of guys who just don't care and break out of that mold, yeah. you know? Love the Fletchers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll always be, you know, that's the great thing almost about that culture, isn't it? It does produce these individuals who who break free of that and and basically do their own thing and don't don't conform really. So you do still get those non-conformists, don't you? But yeah, it's always it is the surprising thing. It's endlessly conformist in a lot of ways, isn't it? You yeah, know, that, that herd mentality. Yeah. So was that and it was that important for you then when from an early age to to almost kick away from that. Well, yeah, if you think about it, I mean, getting into windsurfing, I was, it was, windsurfing might possibly be one of the first, you know, sort of spinoffs of surfing. Um, I guess there's maybe, you know, some of the like sit down sort of whatever those things are called. Yeah. 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 But windsurfing might've been kind of one of the first spinoffs and, and to do that and to be sort of confident about it and, and not really, you know give a shit about it and, yeah. and say, you know, this is just another way I'm going to, you know, pursue this, you know, this thing. And, uh, and you, you gravitate to the people that, that also appreciate it. And, um, so here's an example, like in the early days of windsurfing, um, we, uh, I was living on the, the east side of Oahu we drive out to the North shore, you know, whenever there was a swell with good wind and there's all these outer reefs. And, um, there's, uh, a couple of spots that are like perfectly positioned, um, out where there's, there's good side shore wind. So you can actually get these, you know, full on outer reef bombs on your, on your windsurfer. And there'd be guys like Al Chapman and Ken Bradshaw and Mark Fu. And, and these were a lot of the guys that were, you know, paddling out on their own power and, and sitting out at these outer uh, reef spots and we'd sort of kind of tiptoe out there on our on our windsurfers kind of wondering if it's going to be cool to share you know like phantoms or revelations these are a couple spots yeah, yeah. with these guys and they they were stoked they right. were just you know they were stoked that we were out there and and you know because we were picking up waves that they weren't getting and, yeah and um so you sort of gravitate to the people that kind of appreciate it and and, um, you know, Jerry, I guess was what Jerry Lopez was one of the early adopters as well. And yeah, cause he, he was, yeah, he, he was, was right open minded as well, wasn't yeah. he? And he was surfing those, uh, sorry, windsurfing those outer reefs as well. Right. Back yeah. in that time. Right. Okay. So he kind of gravitated towards this progressive, um, group of people. Yeah. And you, and were. you just, you know, just keep chipping away at it and just keep sort of like pushing it, you know, further and further and see what happens Yeah, and where it goes. Yeah. So, th- so did windsurfing take over surfing eventually? Cause you, you ended up having a professional career, right? Um, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. As it, it were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was my livelihood 
Yeah. And so, yeah, so I was fully focused on that. Um, I never stopped surfing. Um, of course. And they're pretty complimentary. Yeah. You know, you surf when there's no wind and you windsurf when there is wind. So yeah. it was, you could be on the water as, as much as you can. But I was traveling, you know, on the windsurfing tour. So I was gone from Hawaii for many months during the year and, and uh, trying to pursue the uh, a career in, in windsurfing. Yeah. So how long did that last? Wow. So that was from um, the early 80s till about the early 90s. So about a good 10 years solid. And, um, you know, of course, I was trying to become world champ. And that was that was my goal. And um, in 1985, I became world champ. And something happened pretty quickly after that, like 1986, I went on tour and um, I did okay. You know, I, I uh, came in fourth, but it wasn't what I had hoped for. And so it really got me thinking like, am I going to just keep pursuing this, um, tour thing? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Am I going to try to be, you know, two time world champ three time, you know, what's my, what's my approach now? Yeah. Now that I've done what I wanted to do. Now you've achieved the goal that you've been building towards. And I made a decision at that point that there was so much more to the sport than the tour. Right. Okay. And, um, I jumped off the tour pretty, pretty soon after that. Um, in terms of doing it full time, Yeah. you know, I was pretty selective. I would go to the places that had good surf and, um, I stopped doing the, the other disciplines like the racing disciplines altogether. And I just focused on the, the surf aspect of windsurfing. And so, so it did reduce the number of events that I did. And I filled the rest of the time with, um, like promotional work for my sponsors. Have you always had that? Um, cause that, you know, that's, that's quite a, I try to think how to phrase it. It's, it's self-awareness, I guess, you know, like thinking actually, right. You know, I've, I've kind of, I've kind of done what I wanted to achieve. That's not for me. You know, like what's the new, what's the new thing? Have you always acted that decisively in those situations? Um, <clears throat> You know, I'd like to say I had a game plan, but I was, it was more so just, it just felt right at the time. Yeah. And, um, so you followed that. Yeah. 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 It just, you know, I, I really felt like I was going to struggle actually if I stayed focused on just the tour. Right. And, and again, my curiosity came into play and I had fortunately really good backing. I had really excellent, um, sponsors. Yeah. And, I, maybe maybe the one thing I did realize um, ahead of maybe some of the other guys that, um, you know, I was in it for the lifestyle too. Yeah. And, and most of the people that bought the product, bought our products, were in it for the lifestyle. Yeah. So I really wanted to showcase that and and uh, really promote that side of it and not just the, the serious. Yeah, the competitive side, which is obviously like one really particular aspect of the, these cultures, isn't it? You yeah. Know, the lifestyle, as you say, is... It's the appeal for, for most people, isn't it? Most people that are day to day, that's what they want to do. Was that common to among your peers to do that? No, it wasn't. It wasn't because at the time, um, a big part of the industry was, was driven by um, some of the countries in Europe. Like Germany was a, a very strong, still is, yeah. a very strong windsurfing um, uh, market. And I would say in general, it's a lot more technical than a lot of the other markets sure, and it's, so it's really driven by technical material yeah. and product and et cetera, et cetera. Like 
um, when people decide to purchase product, they read all the, the test results and then they go left or right, depending on, on what yeah. the results say. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, for example, the South America is 100% the opposite. They're like, who's got the team that best represents the lifestyle? Yeah. You know, and, um, and the life that, that we want to live, you know, or, you know, the, how we want to uh, do these sports. Sure. So it, there really was both sides. And, um, so I would say the German market would really gravitate towards the, the competition yeah. and, and all of that. The whereas, performance end maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Southern European, um, countries were a little bit more about the life and, yeah. you know, Italy and, you know, South of Spain and yeah. So there was something for everyone. And, uh, I found my, I found my footing, um, in the sort of lifestyle part of the sport. Yeah. And did that then become more common? Was that something that other people were able to pursue? It did. Yeah, it did. Cause it often happens like that in action sports, doesn't it? You know, like they definitely happened in a sport like snowboarding where initially it was about competition and, you know, and then suddenly you get the, you get a level of professional that goes, actually, you know, I, I'm going to free ride or I'm going to go off and, do the thing that to me the sport's about and then that does seem to open the door almost to like the next like either more peers or the next generation of, of people really so is this when you started to look back at surfing again around this uh, you know did, did, did was that because because then obviously the next kind of well-documented part of your career is the, the towing pioneering era on again back to those out reefs so is this kind of similar yeah similar there was, point there was a, a a little transition period which was a really interesting time for me um so i i had uh you know gotten off the tour and i started doing this promotional work um and i did a fair amount of traveling at the same time and and i was one thing that that i didn't stop i guess um which I also, in, in in looking back, find pretty interesting, is that I wasn't competing, but at the same time, I was still pretty competitive. Yeah. Like I still kind of was looking left and right and seeing where the level was at, and I wanted to maintain my level. So you wanted I, to be there. Yeah. And I, so I, I was still very into it, but at the same time, I was kind of looking like, okay, where is all this going to go? And And I had a real interest in graphic design at the time, and... And I really kind of saw something else that I wanted to do because um, I, I felt like a lot of the manufacturers, and one in particular was my our uh, sale company, Gastro. They were based in Hong Kong, and they were using an ad, ad agency out of Hong Kong to do all the advertising, which was super nice and super slick, but it was a little bit maybe out of touch with the sport. Another classic theme. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I, I wanted to be more involved in that. And so I just kind of went for it. Man. Right. I just said, you know what? I can do that. Yeah. And so, um, I hired an artist in uh, Maui to do a bunch of mock-ups and, um, took it to Gastra and said, this is where I want to go with this. Right. Um, you, can you give me the account and, um, you know, put me in charge of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they went for it, right? you know, kind of on a, you know, on a whim. And, yeah, and yeah. for me as well, it was sort of this sort of big step. I, uh, I didn't really have any, uh, experience in graphic design. Yeah. I just had a, a huge desire. And so, and you I, knew it better as well. 
you knew you knew you knew it better, presumably. You well, knew I, you could do it better. I, I, I think I knew the touch points in, in the sport. Like I knew yeah. the things that would motivate people. Sure. So I sort of knew what I wanted From to do. From your experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I had to kind of craft my own aesthetic um, to, to also make it look good. Yeah. And so I started doing graphic design. And I, I did that full on for about, I don't know, maybe altogether, maybe another 10 years. Right. But in the first, let's say, five years, I was in this sort of, I was working as a graphic designer slash, you know, semi-pro. Yeah thing and and i found myself in maui quite a bit and that's when surfing started coming back like, yeah in a big way so can you put that into context then so what was because you, you know earlier you said you know i want to be near the guys at the at the cutting edge so what was what was going on what were you seeing there that that made you that was attractive that you like this okay this is the next progressive arena let's say what, what were you seeing well again it, it was just it, it all just kind of happens without much planning yeah you know we're sort of a bunch of ants i guess just you know in a in this this little anthill just kind of running around and sort of helping each other trying to get stuff done and there were a bunch of guys uh who were in a similar situation to me guys like dave kalama mark angulo rush randall um sierra emery a lot of guys that were had gone through the whole winds pro windsurfing thing and yeah. we're still involved in it. And sure. it, you know, in some cases still supported by it. Uh, we all were, um, in, in some shape or form, but, um, we didn't want to do the tour. And so we're, you know, in Maui and that's just a, a cocktail for, yeah. you know, getting together and, tr you know, flipping things upside down and, yeah. and trying different things. One of those guys was Laird yeah. Hamilton, who one day we were out surfing and he came out with these uh, Velcro booties, and he had uh, he had the booties with uh, you know the the hook on one side and the loop was on on the board, and he would take off and stand up, and then try to do these these flips, <laughs> and um, it was pretty interesting to watch. It was pretty cool. Yeah, but you'd have to stand in the perfect spot or else you were just not, yeah, it just didn't work. And so he quickly just sort of tossed that aside as kind of like, well, did that. But since we were all pretty used to having foot straps from windsurfing, yep. um, I think it was Mark Angulo might've been the one that I saw do it first. He, he put a foot strap on, on his board and he went out and he started pulling these airs, you know, pretty big above the lip aerials. And I was like, whoa, alrighty. And so the next day we all just drilled holes in our surfboards and yeah. strapped them up front and back straps. And we were this <laughs> bunch of knuckleheads just, you know, flipping around and, and just experimenting, see what we can do. Meanwhile, um, Laird Hamilton, Buzz Kerbox and Derek were back on the North shore of Oahu. And I think Buzzy had a boat and they were uh, with the boat out in the outer reefs one day and decided to try to tow each other into waves on their, uh, you know, big nine and a half, 10 foot guns. And they did. Yeah. They, Is this they, like the Zodiac then? Like yeah. The famous, the famous shots of like yeah. lad getting pulled into the, yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. And uh, one of our buddies, um, Dave Nash was over there and he shot it. 
and came back that night and was raving about it. Yeah. And then, that's like a big leap forward, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, you know, like yeah, that real, was real, like real pinpoint days isn't it. You know, that, that was can, the moment. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was clearly the turning point, but, but it hadn't really resonated with us yet. Right. You know, we're like, okay, that, that looks like fun. Let's try it. Yeah. But let's, let's use our little, um, strapped up surfboards because now that we're towing in, we don't need those nine and a half foot. Yeah. Um, Cause you get the guns. speed from the tow. Yeah. 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 And so we sort of combined those two things and, uh, we started playing around on the outer reefs on Maui. Right. And yeah, in the very beginning, it was like we were towing in, we were towing out, we were like doing all these, you know, we were doing like, um, you know, just practicing airs. Like we'd go on the small days and we'd just sort of tow down the line and bang these, these aerials and just try to do different rotations and things. And, yeah. And um, then winter hit and we got this one day that was pretty good size. And it was at that moment where you're like, okay, we can catch anything. So whatever the ocean will dish out, you know, we're probably going to be able to catch it and hopefully ride it. Right. So how was that realization? I mean, it was scary. Yeah. I was going to say almost like, right. You know, it's now the limits are, you know, how brave you're going to be really right. You know, how much you're going to commit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing is clear. I mean, maybe besides Laird, the rest of us were windsurfers. Yeah. Um, we were, we were all surfers, but sure. But for the most part of our, um, you know, late teens and, and early twenties, we were windsurfers, um, on tour and we weren't known as, as big wave surfers. Yeah. You know, we weren't paddling out to the outer reefs. We were windsurfing all, all of that. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, this was something kind of new for us. And so, yeah, so it was scary. And, um, but this, what, what that scariness did was kind of brought everybody together Yeah, and, and really said, all right, you know, we're going to have to, you know, I got your back, you got mine kind of thing. And when we started pairing off into teams to do this, uh, toe surfing, then you really had a partner. Like yeah. you had someone who ha- had eyes on you the whole time. Yeah. Cause obviously that safety aspect is as important and presumably what you were developing as much as the surfing aspect, right? Cause yeah, you know, sure. one thing to pull in, but then, you know, you've got to learn the whole, yeah. Procedures around safety in that environment, which was also completely pioneering, wasn't it? Yeah. At the time, um, guys like Brian Kialana were just developing the, the whole jet ski assisted rescue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And which you uh, see every day now, right? You know, yeah, like, yeah, right. Right. I mean, it's really been a game changer. Yeah. And, but the, the whole, the idea of the tow team, um, because there was nobody sitting in the channel. They yeah. weren't like, you know, a whole group of rescue people sitting in the channel waiting for guys to go down. The guy that dropped you on the wave was your guy. He had to like, get you. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of times you'd, you'd drop them on the wave and then you'd sort of back off far enough behind the wave that if he went down, you gave him a little bit of time to pop up and then hopefully you could get in and pick him up. Yeah. But you you know, you always, you couldn't always get him on the first try. Yeah. And so, you know, you had to, you had to deal with it on your own. And this is before, you know, inflatable vests and the whole thing. So it was really fun and scary and just, just a, an amazing time really. Yeah. Because, you know, we were going places that, that people hadn't gone before 
and, and quickly, Yeah, you know, I mean, just in our first year, the amount of, you know, double XL waves that you would, you know, get under your belt was, was probably a lifetime worth of waves in a, in a year. Yeah. And so you learn quickly. And what was the response from the, the wider community? Cause again, we're back to this thing, this theme we discussed earlier, you know, you mentioned it back in the day when you were a kid with the leash, you know, like a new technological development to how, you know, obviously that ruffled feathers as well, really. Right. And, and, and had that reaction. So how do you remember that? Yeah. Well, the, the early days of toe surfing was very controversial and it still is. Yeah. You, know, you can say, but, um, fortunately for us, um, we, I guess we didn't find this wave because it, it had always existed and um, a couple people had surfed it prior to the, the toe surfing, but uh, we started surfing this wave on Maui called Jaws. And so we, we really had the perfect arena to go figure this thing out by ourselves. And we would be up there for the most part by ourselves, just doing our thing. Yeah. And we had, uh, surprisingly, uh, a number of years at it um, before it really got popular. Yeah. Um, but even in those years, there was a lot of media that came out of it. Uh, a lot of people got to see what was going on. You know, Surfer Magazine ran us on the cover right away and with a pretty, you know, aggressive statement, like something like shut up and tow or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it really, it did ruffle feathers. Yeah. Um, and there were two camps, people who were like down with the progression and the possibilities of it. And then the other people who are just not at all interested and we got it, you know, we understood and, uh, we weren't trying to, you know, promote one or the other. We were, we just, we were just doing it and, you know, let people decide what they want to do. And, and again, we were fortunate that we had a spot like, you know, we weren't going to go tow at Waimea. Yeah. We were you, gonna could, go, you, know. you could develop in relative, I guess, isolation. Yeah. You know? We weren't planning on bringing this, you know, to people's backyards. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of had our own spots and, um, and those that wanted to come check it out could come check it out. And, uh, in a place where, you know, they could not worry about that, that, uh, controversy. Yeah. Got any standout memories from that period? Oh man, I have a million. Yeah. 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 I mean the first, you know, the, the, like I said, the, some of the first days, like we had this one pretty good sized day and good size at the time was probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe 20 foot Hawaiian, maybe 40 foot faces. And it was a clean day, which is rare on Maui. We have a lot of wind there. So, um, and that was when it, when it really, you figured out that, that, okay, we're going to be able to surf anything. Yeah. And we, we knew the potential of that wave too, that we knew that wave could handle pretty much anything. And, uh, so that was both scary and exciting at the same time. Um, the next one was, I think, a Thanksgiving in mid, somewhere in the mid nineties, uh, that was really good size and just getting out of Maliko, uh, uh, Gulch was a feat in itself. I mean, it was really strange what was happening that day. Um, the water would suck out almost completely dry. Wow. 
and and then just build up and just come in like a like a tidal wave and so we actually had to drop the skis and back up this little river um <laughs> and wait until it just filled in and then just gunned it and there was all kinds of debris and guys were like pulling you know sticks and whatnot into the the impellers and shutting the the skis down in the middle of the bay while these sets were coming in and wow yeah so you know we we, we made it out eventually and then we started surfing and and there were some good sized waves that day not super clean which made it even more kind of sketchy yeah that was a pretty memorable day and then we had some just beautiful days like 1996 we had a day that was the entire pacific there wasn't a breath of wind right which is kind of what you need yeah because that maui's such a wind machine that if there's going to be wind anywhere on the island during the trade winds even just a slight flow accelerates right at that corner where jaws is and um yeah we had a beautiful day there had a lot of uh you know just memorable just bad things happen bad wipeouts you know along the way just stupid things you know just learning the the ropes of it yeah. all and taking some lickings and you know those are the things that you probably remember more than anything yeah yeah learning the parameters learn how it works yeah so and then brings us back to when the, the next change really into into kite surfing i guess so would this be late late 90s is that where we are yeah um i would say that was around 97 96 or 97 yeah and you you said earlier that you you saw it and you thought yeah this is this is the potential so were you all in from the start with with kite surfing did you you know the interesting thing is not really actually right i uh you know i had been windsurfing and at the time and we were you know this the 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 surfing thing really sort of took over at that point yeah and um that was our that was our thing you know we were were surfing probably more than anything but we're windsurfing and surfing and uh, we seem to have all these you know different toys and when kite surfing first came in into the scene, there were just a couple of guys doing it. Right. And they were doing these downwinders. Um, like they'd start up at Hokipa and they'd end up down at 10 miles down the coast at Kanaha. And that in itself didn't really look like that much fun to me. Right. I'm like, I can do that on my windsurfer. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Why do I need to do it on a kite surf? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I was sitting on the beach one day, one evening with my wife and um one of those guys uh his name was flash <laughs> he went and he was you know riding a, a spot just off the beach and he caught this air and he went up and stayed in the air way longer than any windsurfer that i've ever seen you know right. he just got lofted and he was just kind of hanging up there yeah getting all this hang time and i was like whoa that now now that looks kind of interesting <laughs> that's the moment yeah. that was that was a moment yeah, yeah yeah and um don montague who i was working with at the time um was really into it so he took me out and uh we did some body drags one evening and the very next day we went to hokipa and uh we did a 10 mile downwinder and that's how i learned right and so i was i at that point i just kind of added that to everything else i was doing and it was it was fun but 
the equipment was so infant at the time. It was so un- underdeveloped at the time that, you know, it was really restrictive in a lot of ways still. And the more the equipment developed, the more fun I was having. And, and especially when I got to be involved in the, yeah. the development of it, sure. you know, then it really, you know, got my interest in, and that, that's when it got, became really fun. Yeah. So how do you feel about kite surfing today, given your, you know, experience in, I'm going to call it the surf industry just but for, you know, for ease, but you know, you've been in your whole life in this, in this industry. So you've got like unique perspective on, 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 yeah. Are you positive? Are you feeling good about it? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm super positive on, on kite surfing. The, the cool thing about kite surfing it's such a hybrid of all these different sports that um, you can take it in so many different directions. Um, I'll give you an example. I mean, you can ride a twin tip like, like a wakeboard style, and you can do that, that type of freestyle. You can ride a surfboard like just you know an off-the-shelf off surfboard yep. and, and surf. And you can ride a hydrofoil. You can ride a race board. You can... Um, uh, kite surf on on snow and go snow kiting yeah yeah i mean in the alps or on flat you know on a completely flat plane i mean it's it's so many different things really and unlike surfing where really the the the, the common denominator is you, you need to ride a wave you know there's so many ways you can ride that wave but yeah. you ride a wave towards the beach you need that propulsion kite surfing kind of breaks free of that a little bit and allows you to do a lot of different things. And so it, it's got a lot of different appeal um, to a lot of different people yeah. all over the world. And as someone who's um, in a position to actually make equipment for all those um, factions, it's super interesting yeah. for me. One of the things that James, that we, we both know, mentioned when we were talking about this interview was he said something like, we, we sometimes get a bit of a hard time in the kite surf industry from other other action sports or board sports. Is that something that you would agree with? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see that that much, honestly. My guess would be that he was talking about some kind of snobbery, maybe, you know, uh, some yeah. kind of small minded, some <clears throat> small mindedness towards it, maybe, well, which again, is it can uh, be actually, another thing, can't it? No, now that, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, as I said, it's, it's really drawn a lot of inspiration from a lot of different sports. Yeah. Like wakeboarding, like surfing. And I, I have seen, yeah. I mean, sometimes some, some people in some of those sports will, will be quick to make the distinction like this, that's not wakeboarding or that's not surfing or that's not, you know, whatever it's, it's drawn from, you know I mean? So yeah, I, I can see that. It and goes back to that thing. We fa- were, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, kind of goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier, though, doesn't it? Like this kind of like you know herdy mentality, like wanting to put things in in boxes. I guess. I guess you're always gonna get that wherever you get get people, really. Yeah, and and you know, again, it's not my job to convince the world that this is you know legitimate or whatever. Yeah. I just kind of put it out there and. If anybody wants to, you know, experience it, by all means, you know, give it's, it a go. It's there for them. Yeah. 
I mean, I can, I could easily argue that, you know, you know, I can make, make a lot of cases for how, how great of a sport it is. Um, and how it, it allows you to do some things that, that even transcend some of the sports that it's, it's drawn inspiration from, you know, yeah, just by having that third dimension, you know, of lift and, and all that, and just creating your own power source. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, you know, I, I was really into toe surfing back in the day and I haven't, uh, towed behind a jet ski in I don't know how many years. Right. You know, I've got my kite, I, yeah. you know, throw up a kite and I'm the surfer and I'm the driver. And we, we tow ourselves out to the outer reefs and ride these, these huge waves and, and, uh, on your own power source. And yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of this sort of eco tow thing. And, um, you know, you tow yourself out, you tow yourself back and, and in between all that, you have all this other stuff you can do, you know, like you surf a wave in and then on your way back out, you just get ridiculous air. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's really an amazing, amazing sport and, and it's got so much depth to it. So given the long view that we're talking about that you've got of like, you know, all the different aspects of the, of the surf industry, what, what, what's getting you excited right now? What are you seeing that's stoked, you know, getting you stoked? You know, it's funny how some things kind of come full circle and you get to revisit it again for the second time and see it with completely fresh eyes. You know, we were into, uh, um, hydrofoiling back, back in the day, like in the early, what was it? Early two thousands. And, um, back then it was pretty much either tow, you know, tow in or do it behind a kite. Yep. And it was pretty committed. You know, we had snowboard boots and we had, you know. Yeah. I remember seeing pictures of lad, I think doing it and yeah, definitely thinking like, wow, that looks pretty critical. It, you know? it was, yeah, it was kind of, it was really fun, yeah, but always on the edge. Like, especially when you were surfing, if you're surfing a wave of any kind of size and, yeah. and you went down and you got boots on, <laughs> it was, it was gnarly. It yeah. was really like really gnarly because yeah. you didn't really have a choice. Like I remember one, one wipeout I had where I got shoved down so far. Right. And, um, you know, you've got this hatchet underneath you just spinning around yeah. and you, you know, because you have the boots, yeah. you're able to kind of keep it away from you. But then you're down there and then you're faced with, okay, what now? Yeah. Like do we, we had this quick release where you could, you know, punch out. Oh, it's making me, but then you're underwater even thinking about it. with this sharp blade yeah. and you've got these snowboard boots on. Yeah. Like you, you don't want to be there in big surf. <laughs> and so you really don't have a choice. You got to stay with it. And yeah. Um, fortunately the boards that we were riding back then had a lot of flotation. So you just sort of grab the nose and kind of tuck up in a ball and you eventually end up on the surface, but then you're on the surface and the next wave is coming at you. Yeah. It was really just kind of, kind of ridiculous. So is, is that why it kind of, you know, went not back underground, but you know, you kind of stopped seeing it. Is that, is that kind of why? Cause it was so critical. That's, and, that's what I think. Yeah. And for kite surfing, it was a little bit different. Yeah, because um, I don't know. It, it was it was still a lot of uh, gear, the whole boot thing, and yeah, it, it was a bit better than than it than it was in surfing somehow. But it was still, you know, who wants to be wearing 
snowboard boots no. in the water. No. So for me, it wasn't until I saw Kai Lenny um, doing a downwinder one day with a hydrofoil stuck into his, his downwind uh, SUP yeah. that I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then days later, he did the same thing with a surfboard. And, um, and then I was like, okay, this is, this is really interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's when I jumped right back into it and was like, now I can just paddle off the beach and, and, uh, go surfing. Yeah. And it reignited this, this fuel that I haven't had in a long, long time. And I mean, it's, it's pretty addicting in a weird way. Um, you end up chasing down two footers with the, the same kind of intensity that you were, you know, going for, you know, head high and double overhead waves. I mean, you're yeah. really like looking for these waves that, that are going to be right for foil boarding, which in many cases was kind of a slopey, but long wave. Yeah. Yeah. So it's again, another way of like a new, a new take on it, a new way of looking at it and, and reimagining how you can, you know, ride a wave basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, the, the cool thing about it for me is that it seems to have done that to kind of every walk of surfing life. I mean, I see in Maui, there's, there's Groms who are just fired up on it. Really? There's, you know, right. old, old timers. There's like, and everybody in between. Yeah. You're starting to see it more and more, aren't you? Like Andrew Cotton's a friend of mine and he's, he's been getting involved, you know, you're starting to see it more and more on Instagram and, you know, people starting to definitely experiment with it again. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, of course, it's probably not without controversy. I mean, you can't just go buzzing through lineups with, with a, a foil stuck to the bottom of your board. You got to find the right spot. Right. So you're, you're stoked on that. I'm super stoked on it. And it just, again, it's sort of, it, it, to me, it's taken surfing out of this sort of 2d mode into kind of a 3d mode. Right. And who knows if, if this is all, you know, all it's going to go or, or whether this is going to open up some hybrid um, way of surfing in the future. Yeah. I don't know. It seems, I, I wonder, right. You know, I wonder if you can eventually do something that goes from the foil to the rail, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something that. So take it performance and see how actually, how it actually changes the way that people use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. I, I love it because it's kind of this, um, it's where longboarding and shortboarding converge. Right. Like you, you draw lines, not similar to a longboard, like still pretty different, but, but yeah. things are a little bit more drawn out, but you have the speed of a, of a shortboard and, and, and you're riding a shortboard. Yeah. You're yeah. riding at like a 410. Yeah. Sounds pretty ideal for British wives, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I got one more thing I wanted to wanted to ask you if that's all right. Um it's kind of about how you you are you how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Fifty six. Fifty six. So do you you're still killing it obviously, still performing at a high level, presumably. Do you have you had to change the way that you look after yourself to, to accomplish that? Um, you know, I mean I'm I'm very aware of my age, I guess. And and yeah, I I think I need to work out a little bit, mostly in, in just stretching and trying to keep limber. Yeah. You know, and my strength too. I mean, there's, there's certain things that require, you know, 
endurance and strength. Yeah. Um, and I surf enough. I, I, I do enough of the things that I want to do that, um, will help the things that I want to do. Yeah. In other words, I, I surf enough so that I can really, you know, stay out for a long session, not, not burn out. Same thing with kiting. Um, but you know, I have a day job and, uh, you know, I spend a fair amount of time <laughs> looking at a computer and, yeah. and, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I just try to find a good balance and, you know, just try to always try to find the fun in it to, yeah. to keep me interested in these things. Yeah. Again, which sounds like it's been, uh, been the theme really throughout the whole, throughout the whole journey. Yeah. Yeah. It has. And I've been very lucky for sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's been great to chat, man. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. So I'm going to say it. Great conversation, eh? What a formidably intelligent, impressively attuned individual Pete is. I very much enjoyed hearing his uh, absolutely peerless insights into some of the most important developments in the surf, kite and windsurf industries. Huge thanks to listener James Bolden for suggesting Pete and helping me set it up. Worked out great. If you're a first time listener and you've enjoyed what you heard, then yeah, maybe check out some of my other interviews with surfers. Over the months, I've spoken to Garrett McNamara about coming back from his hellish Maverick slam. I spoke to Andrew Cotton about coming back from his hellish Nazare slam. I've spoken to Tom Carroll, Lane Beachley, Fergal Smith, Mick Fanning, Eastgate Britain, the list goes on. Find these and the rest of the back catalogue at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. And if you like it, let me know. Podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. Right, that's it for this week. Uh, no housekeeping corner because there's not a lot to chat about really. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next time with another chimwag with some of the great, good and uh, generally interesting in the action sports community. Subscribe in iTunes to make sure they land on your phone each and every time I drop one, including those bonus episodes that I occasionally release every now and again. All right, thanks for listening. See you later. Mm-hmm.